It's October 11th, 2009, and this is The Candid Frame. There are many photographers that have influenced me over the years. I developed my way of seeing not only by taking a lot of photographs, but by looking at the work of great photographers. I have a collection of monographs from many of these photographers that I have had for well over 20 years. And many of these books I've returned to over and over again, not only to draw inspiration, but also to be reminded what great photographs look like. The work of today's guest has long been just such an inspiration, and it's why I'm so pleased to have had the opportunity to speak with Lynn Goldsmith. Lynn has photographed some of the legends of music, including Miles Davis, Bruce Springsteen, and Bob Dylan. But her work over the years has been more than just about rock and roll. Her, her recent self-portrait work and even her own forays into the music reveal a passion for expression and creativity that are both unique and beautiful. This show has provided me a chance to meet many of the people that have helped me grow as a photographer, and I'm so glad that I have an opportunity for you to discover her as well. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Lynn Goldsmith. Well, Lynn, welcome to The Candid Frame. I'm, I'm really excited about having you on the show. Um, and I'm excited that you asked me to be on. You know, I, I interview a lot of people, but I'm actually nervous about photographing you because I've—I mean, for not photographing you, but interviewing you. I wish I was you must be nervous because you meant talking to me. No, I've just been—I've been following your work since since, since the '80s. I mean, I've—I have a copy of your book, um, Photo Diary, and it was kind of like a Bible for me. I mean, I would oh. just go through that book over and over and over again. Um, well, I appreciate that because Photo Diary, actually, the photographs were selected only because of the stories or the explanations that I wanted to make about whether it's being on the road, you know, not necessarily with a certain group. Or, you know, there were a number of um, life markers, which, you know, come from making images and also just the the things that you learn about people and love and so that book and the reason I called it photo diary instead of thinking of it just as a book of images is really because it is my diary yeah. <laughs> and you know there are a lot of books that focus on you know celebrity photographs and they oftentimes will focus on you know, the technical side, the equipment side, you know, or, you know, some of the juicy tidbits of, of photographing someone. But I think what you reveal in this book and what I've always appreciated about you is the fact is that you, you place such emphasis to the relationships that you develop with your subjects, whether they're friends or whether you just had, you know, less than an hour with them. There's mm -hmm. that intimacy that you're able to create is something that's, I think, not emphasized enough for anyone who's interested in photographing people. And that's kind of right. one that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I know you started as a, as director, mm -hmm. not of stills, but of, you know, videos and, and, and film. 
did that sort of sense of, of working and collaborating with people in film sort of help you to translate to what you were doing with Still? Or was that just just the natural part of your personality? Uh, I think it's a natural part of my personality. Um, but I, I think that all the experiences that we have contribute to what we are able to do. And so for me, in terms of having somewhat of a film background and working with people, I'm sure that influenced it, but I think the greatest influence is more or less me um, putting myself in other people's shoes. You know, that's always been, you know, I think about how uncomfortable I can be in front of the camera if someone's not making me comfortable, both with an environment, uh, a body position, um, a level of um, conversation, whether that comes from playing music, which we both bond with. Uh, there's so many elements to making someone comfortable, and there are photographers who make portraits where I think they want their subjects to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I'm about, you know. So, And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different approach to what your intention is when you make an image. Yeah. You know, I want people to really love what they see um, because I, you know, I gain uh, a certain amount of, self-esteem from feeling that I can make other people um, happy for a minute or two with the way that they look. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see your body of work because there's some stuff where you're, you know, you're, you're sent on assignment to photograph someone and you may only have a certain amount of hours and then you've done stuff with... Or minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you've had other opportunities like with Bruce Springsteen, with um, um, New Kids on the Block and with the mm-hmm. police to spend extended periods of time with them. So you yes, were literally, I, you know, mm-hmm. part of their, their world. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you, what are those experiences like and how has, you know, the, that sort of complemented, you know, the, the other work where you only have, you know, say minutes with someone? Well, I could also have, um, you know, all day sessions, with a person. The difference in a continued relationship uh, is very exciting because you really have the opportunity to know more about what makes that person tick and hopefully to reveal it. At least, you know, that's the way I feel about it. Also, I normally don't spend a lot of time around people unless I uh, care about them in some way and unless I'm learning something. So uh, the act of taking the pictures, even if I am paid to do that, is one that I consider to be an act of love. And those photographs mean more to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, when people ask me, who are your favorite people to photograph? Um, It's really the, it it didn't have a lot, it didn't have anything to do with the art that they make. Um, It had to do with how much I learned from them, how much I appreciated them as a human being, how much I respected them. 
so, you know, artists like Frank Zappa and Patti Smith and people who I feel, you know, are uh, my friends or people that I would want to have as friends. There isn't, you know, there aren't, uh, uh, it's not every person that comes in front of your camera that you want to be best friends with, but you do have to create the atmosphere that this person is your new best friend. Mm. Um, so it does make a big difference to me in how I feel about the work when I look back at it, if indeed I did spend a lot of time with people. And from what I've seen and heard of you, you have a personality that is very disarming. You know, it seems like seriously. I mean, I, I've seen I've seen you, you know, and and heard your stories, and it's like you just seem to just sort of come in a room and you sort of immediately take control, but you do it in a way that people feel like they can be vulnerable with with you. And, right. And and I'm and I'm wondering how much of that is has played a role, particularly with your photographs of of men, particularly p- people like who have, you know, huge personalities themselves. I mean, like, you know, Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen or Sting or, you know, these people are, are, are used to having a certain dynamic with women, particularly if they're huge celebrities or, or icons. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel that that's been an advantage or a disadvantage in terms of your photograph of these prominent male performers? Well, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to everything in life. Um, and so, you know, my pluses can be that, you know, I was born somewhat attractive and slim. Um, I'm also uh, female. That can be a plus or a minus. I'm also, um, I mean, there are women who are women photographers who are, let's say, maybe not as attractive in other people's eyes and they might be fat, but that can be a positive because then it's not threatening, you know, and they can, um, an example of that is a wonderful photographer, Bonnie Schiffman, you know, and uh, there are many uh, people that she photographs, male celebrities, who are just extremely comfortable with her because of that. Um, so when it comes to me, you know, when I walk in a room, I'm aware that, you know, I come from a uh, Jewish background, that I am, you know, who I am. Uh, and, and the main thing for me is to create an environment where they're going to feel that they not only can trust me, but that they are actually having a good time, that they want to be there, that there's no place else on earth they'd rather be. Mm-hmm. And um, when, uh, you know, when I do that, it's also because I want to have a good time. I can't have a good time if the person I'm photographing isn't. So sometimes... Yes, there is a flirtation or sexual tension because they like to have that. They like to think that they're desired. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes there isn't any of that from me because uh, it's just got to be, I can tell from that person that what they want to do is just, you know, 
have a nice time with what they're doing, and that generally comes from I do enough research and I have enough instinct to know, especially when photographing musicians, what kind of music to play that will kind of surprise them and that they want to hear more of, you know, because they want to learn all the time. I mean, when I was photographing Paul Simon, I had these guitar solo records of these various artists that he'd never heard of, and he, like, just flipped out, and he didn't really want to leave, mm-hmm. and he couldn't believe that I had the taste to find that kind of music. Or that, or when I was photographing Chick Corea, I did my research, and I found a certain jazz pianist, um, and... Prior to that shoot, the manager had said to me, do not play any music during the chick shoot, and uh, you can't do that. And I said, well, I don't work without music. He said, you don't understand. Chick Corea says no music. So I said, well, here's the deal. I'm going to put this on when he comes in the room. If he tells me to take it off, you don't have to pay me for this photo session. (laughs) (laughs) So, like... After I played that, Chick like was eating out of my hand. He was like, how do you know about this guy? How did you find him? You know, so you create a dialogue. It wasn't anything about he just thought I was a super cool person and wanted to be around me. Mm. Um, and then I think the other thing is, as uh, if one were to uh, visit my Facebook page, uh, I posted a, a little uh, something from a flip camera. I just photographed this French, young, beautiful, uh, classical pianist. And, I mean, here I am. I don't know her or anything. And I'm immediately telling her her teeth are too yellow, you know. Um, and when I put that up there, another celebrity, like, emailed me and they said, and I said, you know, where do I get the nerve to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And a celebrity uh, uh, responded to me and said, Lynn, within the first hour, you told me, like, where I needed Botox. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think the fact that whether it's Bill Gates and I say, okay, suck in that Buddha belly, you know, they know I want to make them look good. And I'm more like a doctor than I am... Um, anything else, you know, when I deliver my uh, tips of how to look good. (laughs) So um, I guess, you know, I'm just sometimes brutally honest, uh, but people respond well to that because they know my intentions are for their benefit. Yeah, and it doesn't I, mean I'm right, but you know they know I'm I'm being honest. Yeah, and that that, that sense of you taking control provides a sense of security for the sitter. Mm-hmm. You know, any sort of hesitancy or self doubt that you may have, you can't exhi- exhibit there because at that mm-hmm. point they f- start to feel less uncomfortable with you. Um, you had a challenging shoot with with Miles Davis that you write about in the book. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really interesting to see, you know, how you sort of handle that, you know, because here you have someone who's very being very resistant to you. Well, and it's not that he was resistant. He was testing me. There's a difference. You know, if someone's going to keep resisting me, um, actually nobody really does. 
and there's only been one person who ever did, and that was, I mean, in terms of what I think resisting is, and that was Don McLean, and it was for his own album cover. So especially when you're working on something that's for them, um, you go like, you know, the, the, great photographs are made by collaborating. And um, I, he's the only artist I ever told to leave my studio. Because mm. it's like, I, you know, I, unlike Miles, where I felt that I was being tested and tested and tested. And that's what it was all about. And do you think it was a sort of sensitivity to being often the photographed and being, you know, having things demanded of, of you that sort of makes people, particularly celebrities, whether they're actors or musicians or any kind of performer, that makes them um, tend to want to test you just a little bit just to see where you're at? Or you no, think? it's a certain kind of person that does that. And that rarely happens, you know. Um, in fact, I can't really think of anybody other than Miles, you know, because when I'm when I'm making pictures, I mean, especially nowadays, whether it's musicians uh, who were less uh, camera ready, let's say, than movie stars. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, uh, you know, they were always coming with the mindset that the picture was going to be published. So they were more uh, collaborative. Yeah. And you, you photographed so many musicians, and I know that you had your own sort of musical career. How, how did you, you know, how did you having your own passion for music that manifested itself in, in, you know, in a musical album sort of influence how the rapport that you could have with people who were themselves um, musicians and, and passionate themselves about music? Well, I, first of all, there are many photographers. I think it's um, kind of like a mathematical mind. There are many photographers who are musicians and musicians who are photographers. Uh, from Ansel Adams to, you know, uh, people like Michael Stipe of R.E.M., you know, a musician going the other way, or Joni Mitchell, Graham Nash. Um, there is, you know, currently there's Danny Clinch, who's, you know, kind of like Mr. Music Portrait Photographer now, and he has his own band. Uh, so does Mark Seliger, the photographer. So, I mean, I can name a, a whole lot of uh, people who the door swings both ways. And I think you make choices. Um, I had been in a band and was a singer-songwriter prior to um, ever, you know, professionally making pictures. I sang in coffee houses and things like that. So, But I knew that, like, I didn't want to have the life of a musician. And um, also I felt that I wasn't a great musician nor a great singer, so what could I ever do that would be different? I felt like what I was doing in photography at the time was different um, than a lot of 
other people who practiced that particular art form. And so it wasn't until I came upon a musical idea that I felt no one had ever done and that I felt that the voice, the actual speaking voice, is a musical instrument and, uh, you know, thought about how much music affects us in subtle ways that I was inspired to, you know, work on um, my other persona, Will Powers. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and I still don't think I'm a very good musician. I'm, and I'm really, you know, not as good a photographer as I am a conceptualist, you know. Um, I'm good at photography of all kinds, whether it's documentary, uh, studio, concert, which are very different um, kind of genres, you know, and I get upset that, you know, people who think that if you shoot a concert that you can't, you know, you you can't do studio work, you know. Um, So I've always um, tried to do a range of different things and not stick to one completely focused path, and I don't know if that's good or bad, uh, but I just know that, like, that's the way I'm the most comfortable and the happiest. Yeah. I mean, it seems like in your career you're always reinventing yourself in some way. You know, I think we all have to reinvent ourselves all the time. I think that's the uh, uh, process of being alive. I don't want to. It's one of the reasons I didn't want to be a musician going on the road. And basically, once you have a hit, being locked into playing those same songs night after night. I don't want to do the same thing all the time. That's why I used to get very upset when people would call me a rock and roll photographer. You know, I would immediately get very defensive and say, excuse me, um, I work for National Geographic, like completely different kinds of photography, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a news photographer who covered this and this. So, um uh, uh, you know, it's only now in my older years that when people call me a rock and roll photographer and it's, you know, considered kind of like a young, sexy term, that I don't fight it. <laughs> yeah. and, but I used to get I used to get really upset when people would say, "Oh, she's a rock and roll photographer." Yeah, because that you know that doesn't encapsulate all that you've done. I mean, you've been an amazing businesswoman. You know, when you started that agency in the, in the 70s that, that focused on photographers, you know, um, mm-hmm. focusing on, on, on celebrities, mm-hmm. um, that was unheard of before. Right. Yeah. And actually, uh, the main agencies in this country, which was Sigma and Gamma, um, they really thought that licensing pictures to magazines around the world was focused on news. And I said, well... Uh, I think that's true maybe in France, but that's not where America is headed. And unfortunately, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even Newsweek and Time aren't news magazines anymore, really. And how has that, that, that shift, you know, impacted not only what you're hired to photograph, but what you end up wanting to photograph? After having spent so much time, you know, photographing those very, you know, high-profile people. 
That's a really good question. Um, how it's affected me is that I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because, first of all, I open up magazines and if they're magazines like Vanity Fair with setup photographs or some other publications that are, you know, hip, it could be spin, it could be whatever, um, there's really good photographers out there doing it. And it's like, okay, now I'm not doing anything really new or different and I don't really want to uh, just keep on repeating myself. So, and I really don't care for the world of celebrity portraiture. However, I do like meeting all different kinds of people. So I'm going to look at it from that point of view. And, you know, the camera has always served as a passport for me. So every once in a while, I mean, tomorrow I'm shooting Michael Franti, and I, I really like who he is and his peace movement and what he's done in terms of, you know, trying to be a musician who uh, brings an awareness to certain causes. And I, I like meeting people and bonding with them. And, uh, uh, but I also like photographing Colin Powell, um, so I still really like doing that, but I do very little of it compared to what I used to do. And uh, for the past 10 years, I really focused on the question of what am I going to do because I've been spending so much time creating identities for people, uh, working with hair, makeup, and styling before there was hair, makeup, and styling in entertainment. It was only in the fashion world, you know? So I changed what people looked like, redressed them. That was all fun, you know? They were all my dolls. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't really, uh, for me, uh, rewarding anymore. And so I decided to focus on who am I instead of who are they. Yeah, and I've been watching that series of self-portraits you've been doing recently, and, and there you're literally transforming yourself in these sort of fantastic, um, you know, phantasmical um, scenes. Um, tell me about the process of using yourself as basically as the clay for the production of these images. Well, I, I use myself to ask myself various questions when I say, who am I? Like, um, in wondering, you know, at that moment of like, okay, enough of the celebrity portraits, you know, but getting depressed because then like, who am I? This is an identity that I've built. Um, I go walk through a department store and I see people shopping and I realize that I must know who I am because I see people... Uh, particularly in the ladies' dressing room, trying things on or whatever that I want to yell out, no, no, that's not for you. So if I know what's not for them, I must know what's, what's for me. And so I started watching people looking at the store windows and thinking about how shopping, how what we wear, how fashion has influenced not only how others see us, but you know, how we see ourselves and where does that come from. So photography started going back to being what it originally was for me, and that was a vehicle for me to become more evolved as a person by forcing myself 
to look at certain questions. And so that series went on to like, well, what else made us dress like this? Or what makes us who we are? So I started thinking about myths and fairy tales. And I mean, even if you look at my Red Riding Hood, it was like, wait a minute, you know, I don't know that the, what was she wearing a red cloak for? Maybe the wolf uh, was attracted, you know, there was always this weird, like, seduction thing in the story, it seemed to me. And I would think about, like, you know, she knew there were wolves out there, and then I was like, wait a minute, why are these people in fairy tales white? Why aren't they African American? Then, excuse me, why aren't they mixed race? So I started redoing uh, various fairy tales, you know, and what's behind the thinking within each of my images is something that, for me, goes very deep because in the process of working on them, I'm asking myself a lot of questions. And, uh, you know, so that was very exciting for me, Um and it was also, you know, something where I knew because I would photograph uh, mannequins' bodies that I uh, could make myself look a particular way and that that body of work will last for a long time and that's how people will think of me. <laughs> well, in terms of how people see you as a photographer, you mentioned earlier how people identify you as, as, as a rock and roll photographer, but you've... You know, with this self-portrait series and this series of still lives that you did, mm-hmm. you know, these are much different bodies of work. So when you're going out there and you're showing this and you want to, you know, share this with, with the world, I imagine that you meet, a, you know, some people that are going, what's this? You know, where, where are the other pictures? So, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that's exactly a reason why a lot of photographers don't make that change or bring that work out because you know it doesn't fit in the mold that they're identified with so how did that play in terms of you going out there and putting out that work and and getting it seen and well like i said there's pluses and minuses to everything and uh, positives and negatives and so when i am uh, dealing with galleries or museums even though I'm extremely well known um, uh, in the commercial world of photography, in the fine art world, it works against you for the most part. They'd rather have someone who just got out of art school or someone who has their master's. They're not necessarily looking at the work. Um, I learned that, you know, and that... I just want people to look at the work and make the decision from there. What difference does it matter, you know, what my, uh, you know, if I have a master's from RISD or Yale or if I taught at Yale. Uh, But, you know, that's the way the world is. It works that way. And so you have to figure out how to work within it. And it's certainly not as easy as, you know, uh, making some images of, uh, whether it's Kevin, you know, some big movie star and magazines automatically want them and they're coming to you, you have to keep putting yourself out there. And so I'm not really, uh, uh, comfortable doing that, but I do want people to see the work. 
Um, I have a book of the work, because uh, I'm finished with it now, and I'll be on to, like, my next thing. But I have a book coming out in the fall of 2010, and, you know, that gives me time to try to arrange museum shows and all the rest. But, you know, it's a whole other world, that world. So, uh, you know... Uh, Do you feel like it's, like sort of starting over like you know in your early days you had you would take these pictures and you would take them to all these magazines right, right. And, and go hey i have these pictures of frank right. or whoever and that's I'm, right so do you find that the you're you're having to involve the same amount of hustling that you had to when you were first starting out or oh we're, it's worse because you don't have something they have artists coming to them all the time and what they're interested in doing is selling so that they can pay their overhead so uh that's very different than going to a publication with an image of someone that they might be interested in and so they're going to see you mm-hmm. and meet you um you know to it, it's uh it's a far more difficult route, uh, at least for me, than the commercial world. But it's like, you know, when I say to myself, uh, you know, where do I want to be when I'm like 80 or 90, hopefully I'll live that long. Um, It's like, I want my work to be in museums. I want... um, you know, I want to be able to uh, have the uh, cachet of being able to do whatever I want, whether it's sculpture or whether it's, um, you know, more music, and that people will give it a chance. They'll listen to it. I mean, you take, for example, David Byrne, who, you know, his uh, his recognition came from the music of Talking Heads, but he is, or Laurie Anderson, you know, their work is in various, their photographs are in various museum collections and the rest of it. Would they have looked at David's work as a photographer? Would he have gotten to make that film that he made if he hadn't achieved a certain level of success as a rock star? You know, would Lori have her videos? You know, so, uh, you know, it's more difficult for someone like me who has not only had a commercial career, but the label of rock photographer, which I think is rather pejorative. There are many fashion photographers that it becomes very easy for them to transfer into the art world. Has um, you being in front of the camera changed how you shoot people that didn't sit in front of your lines at all? Oh, yeah, always. I mean, even when I was little, I knew what made me comfortable or what didn't. You know, from the, from the time that you're told to say cheese, and that, like, doesn't make any sense to you, you, you know? Uh, so I just try to uh, always pretend that I'm actually the person I'm photographing. You have this when you're shooting this image of, of the I think uh, Roger Daltrey, the one that's mm-hmm. on the cover. 
Mm-hmm. And you talk about how, you know, he started wading out into the, the water and you basically had to follow him in. And mm-hmm. I thought that's, that's a really interesting story. And if you could tell it, because it kind of reveals the sort of rapport and the sort of that, that, that thing of collaboration that you talked about in creating moments that provide potential. Well, it wasn't that much collaboration. <laughs> um, uh, basically, uh, it, it, he, you know, he was trying to get away from me, and that's why I, I was on an assignment to get a Rolling Stone cover, and you don't go back uh, to Rolling Stone without a shot. And when I arrived uh, at the place where Roger was staying, you know, this was like his vacation or whatever. He didn't want to do this. So he he told me that I would have to come back another time, and I was like, we're on deadline. And I said, no, I can't really do that, so I'll just wait around until you feel like being photographed. So he, when I say he wanted to get away from me, so he turned and he started walking down towards the water. And I followed him. And he just kept walking in, and I was behind him. <laughs> Thank God he's short um, and shorter than me. Uh, because at one point I said, and also I have to thank God that it was sunset time because I said, okay, I said, please turn around or I'm going to end up going under. My camera will get wet. Come on, Roger. So he turned around, got that shot, and then he went under the water. Mm. So, (laughs) but he, he, uh, he really enjoyed that I went that far. And so when he came out of the water and I kept photographing him and he took off his shirt, and, you know, now I'm getting Roger Daltrey without his shirt on. Then we went back up to the house and he dried off and we were laughing. And, you know, then I got him to do a lot of other things. So, uh, you know, you choose your moments. Um, I don't know that I actually would have continued to follow him any deeper into the water. But he knew that I was giving it, you know, my all. And, you know, they'll respect that. I remember my first Newsweek cover, which I think was 1980 or something, and Richard Gere was a 1981 or something like that. Richard Gere was a huge movie star and the people at the cover in the cover department had tried to assign me before but the people upstairs uh they wanted like a big name photographer like Avedon. So he told the people when it came to the Richard Gare shoot that he was hiring Avedon, but he didn't. He hired me because he wanted to show them. But he told me that's what he told them and that I better come back with pictures as good as Avedon because he put himself on the line for me. And uh, when I was so nervous about that, you know, not about Richard Gere, but about my relationship with Newsweek and not failing Bob Engel, you know, that when Richard came in um, and I was just meeting him, uh, I told him, um, I said, look, here's the situation. This is my first cover for this magazine, blah, blah, blah. And he was great. He stayed longer. He did everything. He really, like, 
gave to me, you know? And that's just because I told the truth, you know? I didn't try to act like I'm, you know, some uh, a, a photographer who, you know, has the world on a string. I think that, you know, uh, people are people and they can identify. Hey, there was a time when Richard Gere was an unknown actor and somebody gave him a break, you know? And he could identify with that. And there's something to be said, just having an air of sincerity about you rather than one of bravado or, 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 you know, or, or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. some people feel like they have to puff themselves up in order for people not to see their weaknesses. But if you come out, look the way you did, people appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, he knew that I wouldn't get the assignment if they didn't believe that I was a good photographer. And what was interesting um, was that when they showed the pictures, uh, because uh, uh, we, we would just call them the people upstairs. I never met them. You know, it was like on another floor than the photo floor of Newsweek. Uh, but, you know, when it came to a cover, uh, usually Newsweek and Time shot like five covers, uh for each week of different ideas and and you didn't know what was going to be and uh, he said he went up there and they all flipped out and said this is the best work Avedon's ever done for us and then he told them that it was me mm. so um, I was really elated about that but probably the difference between what I would have done and what Avedon would have done also just had to do with the fact that I was uh, I think it does have something to do with it that I was female and that I did present myself in a way of like I really need your help on this yeah you talk about on your set you usually have like music going on it's a sort of a lot of high energy yeah um, are there moments where you create a sort of a quieter and a sort of more intimate setting for for a subject or is Well, the music is really for me. I mean, it's for them, but it's also for me. I kind of need sound. Even, you know, like now I carry a little um, speaker thing and my iPod. Um, I just kind of need music on, even if it's soft, to calm me down, much less trying to use it to make a connection. Um, so uh, as of late, I've done more work where, um, I wasn't able to have my little music box with me, so to speak. And, uh, I had to kind of get used to it, (laughs) which is difficult for me. The only time I had ever photographed anybody without music on was um, the novelist Isaac Bashevis Singer who just said I don't want any music at all and uh, you know it's just it's uh, you know as much as I use it as a tool to you know create a bond and conversation. I also do it because I have a certain kind of energy that I don't want to get too hyper, Mm. you know? And the music just 
takes me to a better place. Well, the last question I always ask is that I ask a photographer to suggest or recommend another photographer for our listeners to explore, and they can be someone that you've discovered recently or someone you've long admired. But so who would that be for you and why? Wow, you don't even... (laughs) I wish I had a certain amount of time to um, think about that question. Uh, I, I... would suggest uh, Elliot Erwitt because uh, Elliot has a new book coming out where um, the name of it is something like the photographs of Roberto. It's a different name than Elliot Erwitt, and he's playing the part of like a contemporary artist, a photographer something that he's never done before and he's kind of taking excuse me the piss out of the success of a lot of contemporary photography in the fine art world Mm -hmm. so Elliot's really uh, you know a master at the street photography which shows um, uh, the connections that we all have through uh, through these very powerful, uh, humoristic, if that would be right, moments. And I think that, you know, that comes so much out of him. It's not like it can be copied that I would love to listen since you asked such um, <clears throat> insightful questions. I would love to hear that interview myself. Uh, I, I'm hoping to, to, to make the time to interview him. But thank you for joining us uh, today. I, it's it's a real honor. Oh, well, thank you. And it, it was really a pleasure to speak with you because, you know, you asked me some questions that people haven't ever asked me before, and I appreciate that. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Candid Frame. I'll be in New York at the end of the month as part of the Better Photo Summit. Spaces are still available, and I'll provide a link on the blog for more information. If you have any comments or suggestions, please drop me a line at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also connect via Twitter, Facebook, and Flickr. Links to all of these are also available on the website. Until next time, this is Ibarian X Pirello, and this is... The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.